Good morning. Today is Sunday, January 29th, 2023. Part of what I want to share with you this morning, I learned from someone I admire greatly, Dr. David Fox. We have in this week's Torah portion, the Parsha B'Shalach, one of the most sublime, overwhelming, overt miracles, not only in the entire Torah, but in all of human history, Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the Red Sea. And as we say towards the end of the famous prayer that the Jewish people said in response to that overwhelming experience, Ki paro when Paro came chasing after us with his chariots and his horses and his riders, God turned the water of the sea on top of them. And the Jewish people were able to escape on dry land through the bed of the sea, which had been split, and it was dry for them. And that put an end to the danger of Egypt. And the people said, Hashem yimloch li'olam vo'ed. God is melech. God will reign forever and ever. Perhaps the greatest moment of salvation from certain death, a demonstration of God's might and concern for the Jewish people, perhaps like no other. And then the next Pasuk, which happens three days later. The people started to complain against Moshe. What are we going to drink? They came to a, a place where there was water. They came to a place called Mara, and it was called Mara because the word Mara means bitter, and there was bitterness there. They could not drink the water in this place. It was bitter. Therefore, the name of the place became called Mara, bitter. And they complained, what are we going to drink? How are we going to survive? It's not only heartbreaking, but the dissonance is incredible, but literally it, it strains credibility that from the highest spiritual moment, seeing most clearly God's power and God's caring for every single Jew that God was saving, and directly, immediately, to the lowest lack of faith, complaining. So, the narrative goes on. And Moshe cried out to God, and God showed Moshe a tree, or maybe a stick of a tree. And Moshe threw this into the water. 
Fayimtuku hamayim, and the waters became sweet, and they were able to drink. What is this tree or the stick? How does a tree or a stick improve the water? It's a very mysterious aspect of this narrative. Yoel ben Shu'iv was a classic commentator who lived in Spain in the 15th century. And he understands this passage on a symbolic level. The tree represents Torah and our faith in God. As later would be written down, it is a tree of life to those who hold on to it. The truth is, it was true then and it's true now. Some people struggle with this more than others. Some people are more quick than others to assume God has forsaken them. Even though they had just dramatically experienced the opposite, but some people have difficulty synthesizing that, incorporating that, taking it forward. And we call this cognitive dissonance. And it refers to a situation where once we've made up our mind about a certain thing, if I've decided that God does not care about me, God forbid, then whatever reality is shown to us, whatever facts, whatever data are shown to us, we twist them so that they somehow fit into our version of the narrative. Instead of looking at this with open eyes, with Torah eyes that are objective, well, clearly God does care about us, Clearly, God is taking care of us. So if there is water there, it's going to be okay, clearly. But rather, a person who is suffering from this cognitive dissonance will fit their preconceived notions. And rather than seeing the reality, they will twist the reality to somehow fit their own warped narrative. And after this incident happens, it happens again. Just three weeks later, this pattern repeats itself. They complain, three weeks later, about not having food. Not having the same food the way we're used to in Egypt. And so God provides man, the manna that came from heaven, and they were fed every year for the entire 40 years of the desert. And later, they complain about that also. So now we have the opportunity to learn two critical lessons in response to this complaining. And both of these lessons can help us in numerous ways in our daily lives, almost every day. In response to the bitterness over the water, Ibn Shuav says, he writes, when someone has horseradish in his mouth, sweet things will also taste bitter to him. The people had convinced themselves that they were going to die in the desert. 
and therefore they were unable to accept that Moshe had brought them to healthy water. They were sure that this was a trick, and they would be unable to drink the water, Kimarim Haim, because they, the people, were bitter. The words kimarim haim, because they were bitter, do not refer to the water. The water was fine. It was the people who were bitter. And because they were embittered, because they were stuck in their preconceived notion that Moshe was not going to take care of them, that Hashem was not going to take care of them, God forbid, it was as if they had horseradish in their mouth. And no matter what they would taste, it would taste bitter. The embittered ones, because of this, again, metaphoric horseradish in their mouth, could not swallow this emerging truth, this objective truth, which they had now before their own eyes, that there were actually sweet waters awaiting them just ahead in the wilderness. And he points this out from a fascinating, though subtle, insight to the words of the Parsha. Let's read it one more time. By Yitzhak el Hashem, Moshe cries out to God. By Yoreu Hashem, eats, and God showed Moshe the stick or the tree. By Ashlech el Hamayim, and Moshe throws it into the water. By Yimtuku Hamayim, and the waters became sweet. Now, Ibn Shu'iv says, By the normal translation of that, which is what I used before, is God showed Moshe the stick to throw into the water. But according to what Ibn Shuiv is saying, that it was not the water that was bitter, it was the people who were bitter, well, how is that going to help? How is doing anything to the water going to help the bitterness of the people? And what was throwing the stick into the water supposed to do anyway? But he points out that we are making a very slight, subtle, but important mistake in the word. Because if that's what the Torah means to tell us, that God showed this tree to Moshe and Moshe threw it in and it made the water sweet, the words don't say that. They're two very similar he words in Hebrew. And it's easy to be confused, but the Torah says, Vayorehu. Now, Vayorehu does not mean, and God showed Moshe. If what the Torah wants to tell us is that God showed Moshe which tree to throw into the water, it would have said, Vayarehu. That's different spelling. I know it sounds similar, Vayorehu, Vayarehu. There's an extra aleph in the word. That would be the word from the word Yerah, to see. God wanted Moshe to see this tree and throw it into the water, but that's not what it says. Vayorehu means God taught Moshe with this stick. What did God teach Moshe with this stick? What did Moshe teach the Jewish people by throwing this stick into the water? He taught them that the symbol of the tree, the Torah, connection to God, and faith in God, should enable you to reframe what you're seeing. 
you're looking at this body of water and you are certain that it is bitter because you have bitterness inside of you? That's where the change has to take place. Don't simply rely on your preconceived notions. Look at it objectively. Look at it as through Torah eyes. You have God who's promised to protect you. You have Moshe who's leading you the right way. Look at it objectively. I want you to take, look at this, this tree, which symbolizes the Torah, faith in God, and I'm throwing it into the water. Look at it through those eyes. Once you see it objectively, once you see it within the context of how God has been treating you, without your preconceived notions, you will see immediately the water is as sweet as can be. It doesn't require any transformation of the water. The tree is intended to be a lesson by Yorehu. Teach them the lesson of the tree. That all you have to do is open your eyes to the truth. And the water is already sweet. So often we complain about anything in life because we are twisting the facts to fit our already established opinion. Someone says to us, you may have had this experience, let's say you say to a person, you say to a person, how are you? Now, if the other person assumes that you don't like them, or you're a nosy person, or you're a person who spreads gossip, if that is, your, if that is the other person's opinion, that person might respond, why are you asking? <laughs> How are you? Why are you asking? Why are you asking? Why are you butting into my business? Instead of just, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? And what that comes from uh, is, of course, that's really not the right way to approach it. But what happens is, in that kind of almost silly vignette, but the person has already decided that the world is against them, that this person is not genuine, with no evidence. I'm assuming a case where there is no evidence. I mean, if in fact the person has reason to think that, that's not my example. I'm talking about where there's no evidence to it. Why would somebody respond to me? I just said, hello, how are you? And they respond with such venom because they've already decided the world's against them. They've already decided that for whatever reason, I'm the enemy, I'm nosy, I'm going to spread gossip about them. But that's what they have already decided. And so the lesson here is, see clearly with Torah eyes. Don't be chained down by cognitive dissonance to twist what you're seeing into your preconceived notion. Look at the data objectively. That's lesson number one. And then three weeks later, it happens again. With the man, the manna brought miraculously from heaven to feed the Jewish people for the entire 40 years during the desert, and later they complain about that too. 
Our sages tell us that the man was the food of angels. It was perfect food, perfectly nutritious, perfectly delicious. It tasted, our sages tell us, like whatever you desired. Nobody desires to eat bad food. It tasted like the best perfect meal you ever wanted every single time. And yet the people complained, not once, more than once. Says Rabbi Avram Pam, if you don't like man, you will never like anything. Man is proof that happiness has nothing to do with having something, no matter how perfect it is. Happiness is exclusively dependent on your attitude, on your outlook. People can have everything in the world and be miserable, and people can experience the worst deprivation and yet maintain their sense of happiness. Rabbi Palm said... Everyone looks for the city of happiness, but they fail to realize that the city of happiness is in the state of mind. And this is so clear to us as we read this narrative. How can you complain about this? It's perfect. But they do. They complain. And in the end of our parsha, three weeks after the incident with the water, Lumasnu Biad Hashem Beretz Mitzrayim, the Jewish people say, I mean, it's just incredible. It's incredible. It would have been better if we would have been killed in Egypt. What did you do? You took us out of Egypt just so that we would all die out here of hunger in the desert? It's ridiculous. It's hysterical. It's a reaction that is certainly not based on the objective reality, which we reading the Parsha clearly recognize. It's just, it's just craziness. It's hysterical. But listen carefully, please, to how God responds. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, I am going to cause bread to fall from the heaven and every day they'll be able to go out and to pick up this substance called man, manna, and it will feed the Jewish people the entire 40 years in the desert. Listen, please. This is such a lesson for us. Hashem says to Moshe with the following words, Shamati as Tulunos B'nai Israel, I have heard the complaining of the Jewish people. Moshe, tell them it's going to be okay. Tell them, I'm bringing food. They'll have it forever. Vidatem and they shall know Kiani Hashem Elokechem. I am the God, their merciful God. God is saying here, I hear their complaint. I understand not only the complaint that they are verbalizing, but the deeper complaint that underlies it, that is the cause of the overt complaint, and I will respond to it. And I will respond not just to the verbalized complaint, 
about the food, but I will also respond to the deeper complaint that they are afraid, that they think I have deserted them. No, vidatem, they will know that I am the God who cares for them, who is compassionate, who will do anything to protect them and to save them. When someone complains to us, no matter how foolish it may be, no matter how irritating or exasperating it is for us, and please, let's recognize complaints especially from certain people, especially at certain times, under certain circumstances, are terribly irritating. It drives us crazy sometimes. But here's what God is teaching us. We need to listen carefully. We have to respond, not just to the verbalized complaint. For example, someone in your life might complain, why didn't you call me? Now again, it could be wrong. It could be completely inaccurate. It could be irritating. It could be the, all kinds of things that it can be. So we need to respond like God would respond. But not only do we need to respond to the words as they are verbalized, but we also need to respond to what underlies the complaint. What underlies that complaint? I'm just giving an example now. I'm afraid. I'm lonely. I don't have anyone to talk to. No one sees me. And not always, but often, we would reduce our frustration when someone complains to us if we would see the root of it. If we would identify the nature of the horseradish in their mouth that gives rise to the actual words they are verbalizing. If we can do that, if we can address the root in addition to what is ver being verbalized, then we may get a much better response. And even reduce those kinds of complaints. If we respond like God did, respond to what is verbalized and look for what underlies it and respond to that as well. Those are the two lessons we learn in our Parsha about complaints, which we all have to deal with, and how best to respond to them. My friends, I want to wish you a great day, and I look forward to seeing you soon in person.